0: Hello, this is Philip Terzian, editor of the Weekly Standard, talking once again about the Books and Arts section, and I'm in the February 3rd edition, and I'm delighted this week to be joined by James Bowman, who is the author of one of the pieces in the section. Uh, Jim is resident scholar at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, former American editor of Times Literary Supplement, author of Honor, a History, uh, and a Friend, and he a piece this week on a book. This is the year 2014, which is the centennial of the opening of the Great War, which is a sobering thought for some of us who are old enough to remember World War I veterans uh, walking around. Um, but one of the interesting uh, books that has come out this year, we review this week, Jim Reviews this week, it's entitled Wounded. A New History of the Western Front in World War One by Emily Mayhew, published by Oxford. And it looks at, it tries to take a kind of, well, the First World War, like all wars, has gone through uh, various revisions over time. And we seem to be in a, a, a period of that now where the, uh, the ally, the Western, the British and French commanders now seem a little uh, better than they used to be thought of. Uh, Jim quotes the famous line from, supposedly from the German general Ludendorff about the soldiers of the First World War were uh, lions led by donkeys. They yeah, uh, never said it, we and he probably know. never. No one's really sure who said it, if anyone did. Um, but Wounded, uh, is an interesting book because it looks at the war, uh, in effect from a medical standpoint. Um, each war, I guess, uh, medicine advances to some degree, and one of the, I guess, tragic ironies of the First World War is that, uh, the mechanization of war was such that there were a tremendous number of, casualties, uh, flesh versus iron always works out that way, but that the means to uh, enable soldiers to recover from wounds uh, uh, and the efficiency of uh, medical services on the World War One battlefields was greater than it had been in, well, I guess in the Franco-Prussian War 50 years earlier and so on. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh,
1: absolutely, yes. And in, in the intervening uh, half-century... Um, there was the discovery of a uh, of antiseptic and, uh, and uh, the uh, modern methods of uh, of surgery of, uh, that uh, were uh, involved keeping a clean uh, operating room, which obviously had a great deal to do with the um, with the number of lives that were, were that were saved uh, that wouldn 't have been saved in previous wars. The other thing that was Extremely uh, important and new about the uh, medical corps in the First World War was the was the pushing forward of uh, of operating theaters to uh, uh, within a few miles of the front line, so that people could be got into surgery within a, a, a very short time after after being wounded, and, and a great many lives were saved that way.
0: Yes, I can remember. There's a famous story of. Uh, Uh, Harold Macmillan, who was later the British Prime Minister in the 1950s and 60s, was a soldier in the Battle of the Somme, and he was hit in the hip at some point and fell into a trench. (laughs) And it took a few, I think it took several hours before anyone came for him, but he, he famously had a copy of... Thucydides I in it Greek. But oh, it well, maybe it was. Maybe it was. It probably was Aeschylus, <laughs> which he pulled out of his pocket and read to, I guess, distract Greek, him from the course. pain. And it was in the original <laughs> Greek. No, no. <laughs> And then he was evacuated. Don't make prime ministers like that
1: English, No, right?
0: no. But the uh, the other, I guess, the other thing too is that that with advances in medicine also came. Soldiers who probably would have died in the American Civil War or earlier wars lived with often with with terrible disabilities and so on and I guess you make the point I think that that might have contributed to some degree to to the reaction to World War one that certainly uh, uh, was in the 1920s there was a kind of mm. reaction to the the uh, Doctrine of the heroism of war. Wilfred Owen's famous yes, yes, poem yes. about it, it isn't really uh, very nice to die for one's country. Um, is that true? Do you
1: think? Well, or I think I think so. Yes. Uh, the, uh, what what was most different about about that war, and and one reason why it's it it it, it has it occupies the very large place in the in the common uh, imagination that it does uh, still a century later. Is that uh, is not so much that so many were killed, but that so many survived and 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 lived uh, as living witnesses, living uh, evidence of the uh, the horrors of war, uh, because uh, they were walking around uh, with the uh, with the evidence of their their wounds still upon them.
0: And, and I guess it was the first time that there was sort of official recognition of what we would or what that the time was called shell shock. The Yes. Sort of psychiatric or psychological uh, cost of combat, especially the kind of trench warfare of World War I, which, which was hard on anyone 's nerves and yes and uh, it seems to me it was the first time that there was real scientific study of the phenomenon there
1: was yes famously, so Miss um, Mayhew, in her um, book or Dr. Mayhew, I should call her, I suppose, um, Professor Mayhew. Um, doesn 't uh, deal a lot with the uh, with the shell shock uh, aspect of things, though she does uh, point out that on the the trains and and she has a whole chapter on the uh, on the trains bringing the wounded back from the front to hospitals in the in the rear after their their initial uh, operations in the casualty clearing centers um, always kept the shell shock victims in in separate sealed cars so that they would not be able to uh, uh, Mix with the other, the other right. wounded, and infect them, as it were, with, right. their, with their own. Uh, well, I
0: suppose in a way it was protecting both sides yes, from the other. Yes, and that yes, and that. yes, I think so. The other, the other point too you make, and I guess it's something that Americans don't always recognize, is that um, the Great War. I mean, I'm trying to think what the the population of Britain at the time was forty or About fifty 40, million. 40 million Germany mm-hmm. was maybe a little bit more. It was, it
1: was quite a lot more. Uh, more France.
0: France was i guess fifty sixty million, yeah. and each country lost
1: about a million dead i said the Germans i think lost two million mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, the French about a million and a million and a million four i think something in british not so much only about uh, three quarters of a million
0: i mean i can't i can't <laughs> calculate what the what ar- ar- the arithmetic of what that would mean for us, but i mean that would be, would be several different. million yes. uh, and I don't know that we fully appreciate the effect this must have had on, on those societies at the time, when such a huge proportion. And as you point out, too, it was a war fought not by mercenaries or professional soldiers or Wellington's scum <laughs> of the earth, but it was a, a, a war of the, shall we say, respectable middle class, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the so. the young aristocrats of all countries, Fought the wealthy uh, went into the trenches as well as working men and so on, and so the the devastation on those societies was was considerable.
1: Yes, it uh, it, it certainly was. Oh, so the it's interesting thing as I as as I wrote in uh, in my book um, a few years ago um, was that actually the, the 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 reaction what we now think of as as the, uh, the, the Popular view of, uh, of the wars as neatly horrifying and and, and futile um, and foolish uh, didn't really um, come about until about a decade after it was over. Um, it was it was around 1928-29 uh, that you started to get uh, uh, you know plays like uh, uh, *Journey's End* or, or novels like *All Quiet on the Western Front*, which which Made popular that view, and which has right. been uh, very uh, prominent ever since. Although there is, there have been uh, revisionist historians, as, as they call them now, who've, who've tried to tried to make a different point, partly too about the uh, about the, the incompetence, the, the famous, famously incompetent uh, generals who, who who led the their armies into such uh, ghastly and disastrous. Uh, well, combat. and
0: one other thing, I suppose, is that there were a fair number of. Quite talented writers such as Robert Graves yeah, and Siegfried yeah, Sassoon and others yeah. who, who, who really came away deeply embittered and, and wounded by the war and yes. and expressed it very well. Uh, there's a famous memoir called A Passionate Prodigality by Guy Chapman, who was a British officer, which is actually far lesser known than Graves's or Sassoon's work, but he he has a far more uh, I should say objective, even almost laconic view of mm-hmm. of his experience, um, which I've always somehow I've always found a little more sympathetic to read. You get a little you get a little weary of Sassoon's anger and indignation after right, a while. Right, but yeah. but anyway, as I say, this, this this is this year is the centennial of the Great War, and we have we have uh, uh, inaugurated our observances with James Bowman's wonderful essay on this book which I hope that you all will read and enjoy in this week's issue. Thank you very much, Jim.
1: Thank you for inviting me.